Thank you. Good morning, family. My name is Mledi, and I am the discipleship pillar leader for our congregation. Um, and in honor of Father's Day, um, I'm going to start with a, with, a, with a diagram I'd love to show you guys. <laughs> right, so on the left we have dad, on the right we have jokes, and then in between where the two intersects is where the magic happens. <laughs> right, next slide, please. So I have a few dad jokes for you guys. So I hate when my wife gives me, gets mad at me for being lazy. It's not like I did anything. <laughs> Next slide, please. I married my wife for her looks, though not the one she's been giving me lately. <laughs> um, and then next slide, please. Um, my wife just yelled at me, you jerk. You haven't listened to a single word I've said, have you? What a strange way to start a conversation. <laughs> this is why we have premarital, so we don't have those moments that we can actually listen and communicate well. <laughs> so, this week we are starting a new sermon series. Um, it is called Encounters with God. <clears throat> and so, one of the things, you know, when I think encounters with God is that a lot of the time uh, we live out our Christian faith as though we cannot meet with God. Uh, we live out our Christian faith as though the, the, where our relationship with God is just with the Word of God. And that's good. It is important that we get into the Word of God. It is important that we are familiar with what the Word of God says. But there is more. Because as we read the Word of God, we see normal people like you and I having an encounter with God, meaning that they meet with the God who created the heavens and the universe and the earth as it is. It may sound strange, it may sound scary, but that's the reality that we have, is that unlike any other gods that the world has to offer, our God is alive. Our God wants to meet with us. Our God wants to meet with us face to face and have a conversation with us. One of the, the best things you can ever hear is the voice of God, is that when you hear him speak and his there's a finally a voice for the words that you get to read. That's the power of an encounter with God. And an encounter with God, you can't deny it, you can't explain it away. It just changes your life forever. That from that moment when you meet with the living God, nothing is the same afterwards. And so as we go through this sermon series, my prayer is that we would be hungry for the presence of God. Not only just hungry for the presence of God, but be expectant to have an encounter with God. I remember a few weeks ago, um, I was journaling, um, and, I, and I was speaking with the Lord, and I was like, Jesus, I want you to come into our house, right? As like the resurrected Jesus, like I want to see you with my eyes. And I told my wife, and I was like, babe, I prayed, and I asked God to come. And he's going to come into our house, and we're going to see him. And then she just looked at me with wide open eyes, and I'm like, yes. This is the privilege we have when we have a relationship with God. We can make such bold requests of the Lord, and the Lord will eventually honor it. We just have to be expectant and wait for the Lord to come and meet with us. And so as we start the sermon series, I'll be starting uh, from Genesis chapter 2, verses 25, until Genesis 3, uh, verse 13. Uh, we are going to be looking at Adam and Eve and looking at their encounter with the Lord. Um, for those of you who don't know Genesis, where Genesis is, the first book in the Bible. Um, yes, so could we please stand as we read the Word of God? 
Come on, somebody. Come on. <laughs> and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree, shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the son of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman replied, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. This morning, I ask that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit. Whatever ideas I have, may, may, may we put them aside and may your word be the one to shine through. Father, may we have an encounter with you, with you, the loving God, the good God, sovereign God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we are going to be looking at three things um, in this morning's ser ser sermon as we look through the text. The first one is, where was the serpent? The second thing is, where are you? And the third thing is, where is God? Right? Because there's, there's, there's a few things happening in the scripture. There is the serpent who is busy uh, having conversations with the people. Um, there is Adam and Eve where we're not quite sure where they are in relation to the presence of God. Um, and where is God as all of this is happening? So, where was the serpent? So, one thing we ought to know about the serpent is that the serpent is someone who is skilled at manipulating situations or people to, its, to his advantage. The serpent has been doing this for generations and generations and generations. And when we become, uh, when we are born into this world, we find ourselves in the midst of this battle where the serpent is trying to get honor and glory for himself and trying to uh, get us away from a relationship with God. Uh, and God, in his loving goodness, is calling out to us to have relationship with him. But we ought to know our enemy. In the same way when we are pre preparing for whatever sports match, like a rugby match or a cricket match, we ought to be aware of our enemy's schemes, aware of our enemy's tricks, so that as we go out into the field and we play, we know what plays we're going to play in, in order to counteract what the enemy is doing. So the priority isn't glorifying the enemy, but it's just being aware that there is an enemy. And a lot of the times we live like there isn't an enemy. And when, we, when things don't go right in our lives, we wonder, God, where are you in all of this? That's a good question to ask, but we also need to be aware that the enemy is also working just as hard to make sure that you don't worship God. 
The enemy is working just as hard to make sure that you don't worship God. There are moments in our lives when we wake up in the morning and there's a sudden discouragement and we do not know where it comes from and we feel like, man, I don't want to go to church this morning. Or man, I don't want to go to connect because I'm just so discouraged. That is the enemy playing his tricks on you. He's deceiving and he's manipulating a situation so that it looks a certain way to you. But do those situations look the same way to God? And that's, what, that's who the serpent is. The serpent is crafty. The serpent has been doing this for generations. The serpent has been leading people astray for generations. We need, we need not wonder what the serpent is up to. When we look on social media, when you look at t- on TV, the loud voices that we hear, we ought to ask ourselves, is this the voice of God or is this the voice of the enemy? Because the enemy is at work. And one of the things that the serpent says, could we go to the next slide? One of the things that the serpent says is, it starts from here, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So the Bible is just stating here something, stating a fact that being naked doesn't equal shame. It's just a fact. They were naked. And when they were naked, they were not ashamed. The serpent was aware of this, right? And he was more crafty than any other beast. And he came to the woman and he said, did God actually say? What the serpent is doing here is two things. It's challenging God's credibility as a lawgiver. And the second thing that the enemy is doing is, is expressing disagreement with God's nature and God's word. So he's challenging God's credibility as a lawgiver, expressing disagreement with God's nature and God's word. And in that moment, the enemy is sowing doubt in our relationship with God. So here, the enemy, challenging God's credibility as a lawgiver. Let's look at Eve's response. So how does Eve respond to this challenge? Eve says the following thing. I mean, the serpent says, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden. But God said, I found it very interesting um, how Eve phrased this. She starts by saying, we may eat of any fruit of the tree, but God says. So now she doesn't focus on the freedom that God has given her. In that moment, she falls for the enemy's deception and focuses on the limitations to the freedom. There isn't any freedom without restriction. Freedom without restriction is anarchy and it's chaos. Imagine if there were no laws of the road. There was no stop sign. There was no robots. Um, there was no yield sign. There was no, there was no uh, um, at the circle, um, right of way. Um, none of those laws existed, and we just had to get on the roads and drive. Imagine what chaos that would cause on the roads. Would you even ever get to work? Because you'd just be stuck in traffic because everyone is doing their own thing. We see it with our taxi drivers, that some of them are just lawless. Right? And we see what chaos it causes on the roads when they don't obey the roads, the laws of the road. Or when you're about to cross the road and the robot is green for you and you're driving and someone decides that they don't care that the robot is red and then they just go right through. That causes chaos in that moment because they are going to hit you. Uh, a few weeks ago, after making disciples training, um, in the evening I was driving back, left-hand side of the road, where I should be. I'm driving. Uh, then all of a sudden, this car moved from the, the lane that they were in, and then they were in my lane. And now we are coming head to head. Chaos in that moment. I braked, and I started hooting, and this car is still coming. 
swerved at the last minute, and I'm like, this is chaos, because they're not obeying the rules of the, of the road. And so in order to experience freedom, there needs to be restrictions so that we can all enjoy this freedom. But let's look at what God actually said to Eve. Um, in the previous chapter, uh, it said, uh, it says the following. And the, uh, Genesis, 2, chap uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That's what God said. You can eat of every tree, but this one tree. But in Eve's relaying of the message, he says, God said, you shall not eat of this one tree. In her mind, she's not saying that God said, we can have freedom and eat of any tree. She is focusing on the restriction. And so as the enemy is challenging God's credibility as a lawgiver, she is also doubting that God is a lawgiver. In that moment, she is wondering, why is God not giving me access into this one thing? Forgetting the access into every other thing that she has. <coughs> Another trick of the enemy is, the enemy is very clear in expressing disagreement with God's nature and his character. The enemy said, but this, uh, in verse 4 it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But here's the weird thing about the scripture. When God created humanity, he said, let us create man in our image and our likeness. And so you are already in God's image. You are like God because God created you in his image. But in that moment, the enemy is sowing seeds of doubt and confusion into God's nature. That God did not create you in his image, but if you eat of this fruit, you will be in God's image. But you are in God's image. And that's the deception that the enemy makes. And we see this in, in, in this day and age. There is this documentary um, by Matt Walsh called What is a Woman? Where he's going around asking the question, what is a woman? Right? And the, the answer is simple. A woman is a female adult. Very simple. But the answers that he hears are very weird in the sense that it's based on your feelings, it's based on what you choose, it's based on what you identify as. But that's not it. Your identity has already been given. It's already been assigned. And so you can't come and decide something else. And that's what the enemy does. Pushes you into those positions where you start to disagree with God's nature, that you forget that you're creating God's image, and you think you're creating the image of something else, and in order to be in God's image, you need to do this one thing. But here's how uh, humanity responds, right? Oh, sorry, if I forget there. It says, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God is ultimate good. And so the word, whenever you see the word know, it's an experiential knowledge. It's not just a, a head knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge. So you will know good. Do you know that Adam and Eve knew good because they knew God? They had an experience of God. But the enemy sows a seed and says, you will know good and evil. There's a reason why God didn't introduce them to evil. Because evil cannot exist in his presence. And so in order for them to know evil, they have to be outside of his presence. And God does not desire that. 
for his children. He desires the children to be in his presence to know good, to know the ultimate form of goodness, which is God. But in that moment, humanity forgot that they know good. They forgot they have an experiential knowledge of good. And what they ended up having is an experiential knowledge of evil in that moment because they disobeyed God. When God had given them a clear command not to eat of the tree, I mean, not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the reality that we're faced with, that without an encounter of God, we will not have an experiential knowledge of God's goodness, of God's love, of God's mercy, and of God's kindness. But one thing we are all familiar with right here as we sit is the experiential knowledge of evil in this world. We all know that there is something deeply wrong in the world. There's a brokenness in the world. And we all feel it and experience it each and every single day. So, how did humanity respond to, to these things that the, the enemy was saying? So, three things, yeah. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this is verse 6, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. So, three things that are happening here is, number one is lust of the flesh. So, the tree was good for food. So, she started responding from her flesh, from the hunger, from the thirst that was within her. That this, that this thirst and this hunger that was satisfied in God, all of a sudden, as soon as she shifted her eyes from focusing with God and focusing on the enemy, all of a sudden, there was a hunger that she felt. And she felt that the, this fruit is the only way to satisfy that hunger. Simply because she was no longer looking at God, but she was now focusing on the enemy. And what the enemy had to offer was nothing. And she had to look around and look at the enemy, and all she could see was the fruit. And so she saw that this fruit must be good, because it will satisfy my hunger. The second thing is a lust of the eyes, is that when she looked at the fruit, she saw it was this... Um, it says it was a delight to the eyes. Now, all of a sudden, the fruit looked appealing to her. I don't think it was appealing before because she never looked at it because it was very clear. Focus on God. Leave this tree. What was appealing to her was the sight and the beauty and the glory and, and, and the worthiness of God. Her life was just filled with worship. But all of a sudden, as soon as she f stopped looking at God and started looking at the fruit, again, the enemy had nothing to offer. And so what was there to see? Just the fruit. And the third thing was the pride of life, to make one wise. And so in that moment, she thought that she can become wise because of the fruit. But did you know that God holds all knowledge? Which means that God cannot learn anything. Because he knows all things. He's the source of all knowledge. And so if she wanted wisdom, she could simply go back to God and say, God, give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Because why? I am created in the image and the likeness of God. And if we, have, if we have the image and the likeness of God, we have access to the wisdom and the knowledge of God. But in that moment, she thought, again, the serpent had no wisdom, had no, had no knowledge to offer. And all she could see was the fruit. And that's how we respond a lot of times, is that when we are in situations where there's temptation of sin, we look at the fruit. When we, we are with our friends and they are drinking, and that is all that we see, we look at the alcohol and we say, surely this will satisfy my thirst. Surely this will make me more acceptable to my friends. Surely 
this will give me a knowledge that I haven't experienced before. But that's a lie from the pits of hell because we have access to the Father who can satisfy our thirst, who can give us knowledge and wisdom rather than looking to what the enemy has to offer. So that's how humanity responded. But then, where is, where are you? So they responded this way. Um, so one of the, the joys of being a dad um, is, the, is the constant wondering of where your kids are, right? <laughs> um, and so I'd be sitting, uh, and I see my daughter playing, and it's like, oh, okay, no, this is great. Then she disappears. <laughs> and then I wonder, I'm like, where are you? Then I call out to her, Uminati, Uminati. And then she comes running from causing havoc and chaos in the other room. And then all over here, she, here she is acting all innocent, like nothing happened. Then when I go to the other room, I find it's just a mess. God came to Adam and said, where are you? My presence is in all things. It's all around. It's everywhere. There's no way where you can go to hide from my presence. But I'm recognizing that you are not in my presence. So where are you? A few weeks ago, my wife and I were doing groceries um, at Pick and Pay. And then she's like, wait here. I'll be back quickly. Let me just go look for something. Waited for 15 minutes. I'm like, she is not back. So now I'm wondering, where is my wife? She's here, but she's not here. So I started walking up and down, just this one specific aisle, just walking up and down so that she can see me. Then she doesn't see me. We don't see each other. We don't know where each other are. I take out my phone, no network. She has no network. We're just struggling to find each other. For like 20 minutes, this is going on. Eventually, I find her. And in that moment, I knew my wife is in pick and pay. She knew I was in pick and pay. But we didn't know where exactly we are. And that's what God is saying here. Is that where are you? I know you are in the garden. My presence is in the garden. <coughs> But you are not in my presence. Where are you? How did you leave my presence? And where was, where was Adam? Hiding behind a tree. So let's talk about trees for a second. <laughs> so trees. Um, in Genesis 1 verse 11 to 12, right? At the third day of creation, God speaks into life that there, there will be trees that will be bearing fruits, and these fruits will have seeds. And what we see from this is that trees represent life and fruitfulness, right? So when we look at a tree, we ought to be reminded that we ought to be bearing fruits ourselves, that God has given us trees so that we can eat, um, is that God has spoken through his word, by the power of his word, uh, and then there was life in these trees. Then the second thing is trees represent a knowledge Knowledge and choice. So in Genesis 2, verse 9, God gives humanity a moral choice, right? It's a moral choice to say, hey, I have given you all these fruits. Just don't eat of this one. So the choice is ours as to whether we will obey or disobey. This is where free will comes into the picture, is that God will not force you to worship him. God wants you to choose to worship him. Worship is a choice. Worship is not forced. Imagine if your wife or your husband was forced to be married to you. 
would you still appreciate that marriage? Would you be happy in that marriage because you were forced to do it? You had no say in the matter. It's the same with God is that God knows he is worthy of worship. He knows he's worthy of adoration. But will you choose to worship him and adore him? Or will you worship and adore something else? The worship and adoration of him is the best thing you can do for, himself, for yourself. And God gives you that choice to say, you can worship me or you can worship something else. And a lot of the time we choose the something else. And so trees represent that. And so when Adam was hiding behind the trees, he was hiding behind the trees because he, in his thinking, is that life and fruitfulness come from the trees and not from the Lord. God is the one who spoke by the power of his word and he brought life into existence. If it wasn't for him, there would be no life. When, when God caused the rain to happen in the garden and from the mud he formed Adam. And after that he breathed into Adam and Adam came to life. So life came through God. But in that moment when Adam chose to hide behind the tree, he was saying life no longer comes from God, but life comes from the created things of this world. When he made the choice to say that I'm going to choose to eat of this fruit, he's no longer saying that, I am, that knowledge and choice comes from the Lord, but now knowledge and choice rests with me that whatever choices I make, I will rely on the creator things to help me make choices rather than the Lord to help me make decisions. A lot of the time, if you want to see what is your heart motive with your decisions, look at how you handle your finances. A lot of the times when we handle our finances that we make the decisions, right? Because we worked for it. We worked hard for this money. But do you know that all money is God's money? Therefore, when we sit down with our budgets, we're supposed to be asking God, God, this is yours. What am I supposed to do with it? But again, we hide behind the tree and we want to make the choice ourselves. And it's like, Lord, I need to pay rent. I need to pour fuel. I need to buy food. As if the Lord is not aware of all those things. He is fully aware. But in that moment, we are choosing to say, I'm going to hide behind this tree of choice and I'm going to make this choice myself. And I'm not going to give it to the Lord. Because I'm scared that the Lord is going to take away this. But it's not even yours. So life comes from God. He spoke life into existence. Fruitfulness comes from God because he commands fruitfulness. Knowledge comes from God because he is all-knowing. But the choice he has given to us, what will you do with the choice that the Lord has given you? Romans 1, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, it says, For although they knew God, so they had an experiential knowledge of God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's the exchange that happened in the garden. Is that they... Although they knew God, they had an experience of God, they knew that God was good, they exchanged all that goodness for created things rather than the creator. And then the last thing is, where is God? 
God is here, there, and everywhere. His presence fills the entire garden. There isn't anywhere where you can go in the garden where you wouldn't experience his presence. I like how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 139. It says the following, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shore, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. There is nowhere where we can go where we can hide from the presence of God. The presence of God is here right now this morning with us. It is with you when you are driving, um, when you leave here, when you're driving to work in the week, the presence of God is with you. When you are at home, the presence of God is with you. In anything and everything that you do, the presence of God is with you. Are you aware that God's presence is with you? Are you aware that God is there? Or are you just hiding behind the creator things rather than looking to the creator? A few years ago, um, we had um, our, the, the lead prophet in our movement, Jim LaFoon, come and teach about super, supernatural empowerment. How does it look like when we live a life that is spirit-empowered? Um, and there was a moment where he prayed for me, uh, where we were just dealing with certain issues and pains and, and hurts that I had in my life. And he asked me, with each and sing, every single hurt that I was feeling, I, I, he asked me to ask the Lord, God, when, when my father disowned me, where were you? And God revealed to me that he was there in that moment. God, when I was sinning, before I even came to church, where were you? God was there. His presence was, was, was feeling pain. He was grieved because he's aware that I am here. My presence is here with you, but you are not aware that I am with you. His presence was grieved because of the choices that I was continually making. There was a pain and a hurt and an anguish that he was experiencing that this is my son. I want him in my presence because everything he wants and desires will be found and satisfied in my presence. Are you aware that God wants your attention because everything you want and desire and are looking for will be satisfied in his presence and the more we experience his presence the more we can make much of him and less of this world that we are living in because we will be completely satisfied and so even in that moment we will not fear death because what is death for us as a believer is that if I die, all the troubles and all the pains and all the hurts of this world will end and I will get to be with God forever. You get to experience fullness of joy. You get to experience love everlasting. But that isn't just waiting for us in heaven only, but it's something that we can experience and know right now. And so we're going to pray that God would reveal to us his presence. So as you are seated there, like everyone, to close your eyes. There's no pressure. The, the pressure isn't on you to experience something. 
the pressure is on God to reveal himself. And if nothing happens, it's okay. God will reveal himself. <coughs> and so as you are sitting there, I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose and then hold and a deep breath out through your mouth. In through your nose, hold it and then out through your mouth. And as you are sitting there, just in, in your mind, I want you to ask God, God, where are you? Father, I ask that each and, as each and every single person is asking, where are you? I pray and I ask, as your son, in the same way that you have revealed yourself to me, reveal yourself to your sons and your daughters. May there be an awareness of your presence right now. Reveal the great love, the great mercy, the great grace. Reveal your sovereignty. Reveal your lordship. Reveal all that you are. The Lord might show you an image. You might hear a voice. You might get a scripture. You might get a song. There might be a sense of that you know, that you know, that you know something. It's just a sense of knowing that you know that you are loved. You might even feel his tangible presence like he's hugging you and he's holding you tight. Father, I ask whatever trees it is that they hide behind, I pray that you would reveal them so that we can repent of those trees, whether it be money, sex, where we have placed an importance on religion without relationship with you. Reveal those trees. Reveal those things where we find our life in, where we find, where we find knowledge in, things where we find that this is the place where we can bear fruit things that are not of you things that you have created that we have worshipped above you I pray that you would reveal those things right now in the name of Jesus
reliance on self that there are times where we rely on ourselves where where prayer is just a tick the box exercise but we know that we are going to make our own plans where we're going to do things by ourselves where our relationship with God has basically become instead of him being Lord he has become our PA where Lord if you can just help me clinch this business deal Where, Lord, if you can just do this, 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 and and that for me. And your relationship isn't about communing with the creator of heaven and earth. Where it's about you just enjoying his presence as a child. Just enjoys the presence of, of their parents. Where they seek nothing from them. But they just seek to delight in their, par- in their parents. Father, forgive us for, for our self-sufficiency. Forgive us for our self-reliance. Help us to love, serve, and obey you. Help us to worship you truly the way that you want to be worshipped. Help us to have a relationship with you where you are Lord and we are your servants, where you are the Father and we are your sons and daughters, where you aren't our PA, but you are our King. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.